God. So would you guys open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 10? That's where we're going to be, Romans chapter 10. And um, so excited for what, again, all God's doing here. But I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to what uh, we can find here in this passage about missions. And um, as you're making your way there, let me share with you something I learned along the way in my trainings to become a pastor, my undergrad, and then my master's, and multiple pra- uh, professors. They'd say this to us. They say, uh, a good pastor has the Bible in one hand, and has anybody heard this before? What, what in the other hand? Any guesses? Someone actually last hour got it, which was awesome. Uh, a newspaper. Now, right there, I might have lost some of you. Let me explain what a newspaper is, okay. Uh, but whatever you get your news on, okay? Um, and what, what's that saying? It really applies to all of us, even just as Christians, right? A pastor or a Christian um, is that we need to first know the word of God inside and out, that's our core, but also know what's going on in the world because the gospel and the Bible are extremely relevant to the world, but how are we going to be relevant if we don't know what's going on in the world? So we need to know what's happening. Well, with that said, uh, uh, one of the, by far the, the biggest news items right now in our world, maybe you've heard of this, is the coronavirus that's been happening there in Wuhan, China, has been spreading some from there. Uh, now, thankfully, it's not really a threat yet here kind of thing in, in most parts of the world, but it is a serious thing, especially there. Um, it has uh, infected at least 75,000 people, and my numbers are probably behind already. It just changes every day. 75,000 plus people have uh, gotten it, and it has about a 2 to 5% death rate. They're still trying to get their handle around it. They don't know, but at least over 2,200 people have actually passed away because of this virus. And the worst part is there's no cure yet for it. And so they're working really hard on that. Well, a side story, maybe you've heard of this, that ties to it, it's really sad, is there was a team of medical technicians and doctors there in China back in December that found the virus. And they began to tell the government and tell society and warn, saying there's this novel virus that we don't have any cure and it's deadly, watch out. And the Chinese government is sad. They actually imprisoned them and, and accused them of spreading rumors. They didn't want to believe what they were saying because they liked the status quo. And then even worse, one of those very doctors ended up dying a couple weeks ago from the virus. So very serious thing. Um, And so I don't want to diminish what that is, but what I want to talk about this morning that God wants to talk about this morning is a disease just as real that is infinitely and eternally worse than even that. It's a disease that has a 100% infection rate of every human being that has ever lived, has had it, lives today, has it, and every human being in the future in this world will have it. And it has a 100% death rate. It is not a physical disease, it's spiritual, but it affects both the body and the soul. And it kills both the body and it will kill the soul forever. And so what is this disease? Well, we're gonna find out right here in our text in Romans chapter 10. Paul is talking about a specific group of people, the Jewish people, and how this affects them. But of course, it applies to all of us as you study the scriptures. And so look at this with me in uh, Romans chapter 10. If I can get my clicker going. There we are, okay. Verse one, brethren, my heart's desire 
And my prayer to God for them, who the Jewish people, is for their salvation, or using our metaphor this morning, a cure. They need a cure. It says, for I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge, for not knowing about God's righteousness. Now, if you're able to take notes in your Bible and want to, you might want to circle or underline the words righteousness, because it's going to be very key for us as we move through this. Uh, They didn't know about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own what righteousness. Uh, They did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. So here's the disease. The disease is rebellious, self-righteous sin. It's sin that has two components to what sin is. It's both rebellion and it's self-righteousness. Let me explain. Uh, The first part, rebellion, what that is, is that the Bible teaches is that Jesus and God, uh, they are the king of us because they made us, they own us. But our sin, it says, no, thank you. We are gonna rule our own life. We will be our own Lord and we rebel against his lordship in our life. The second part of sin is self-righteousness. That's if we say this. Okay, if there's a God, and of course, then he owns me, and he's king, and all that of me, but even there, uh, and I have this sin thing, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. And, And I can be good enough and do my own stuff, and I can get right with God on my own that way, and we become self righteous. You see, and that actually comes out in verse three. It says, again, for not knowing about God's righteousness, but here it is, what do we do? And seeking to establish our own righteousness. You see the self righteousness there? And so in other words, again, sin is this. It is, I'm gonna be a self-proclaimed savior if need be, and I'm the self-proclaimed Lord. And I wanna remind us, what's the result of this disease of sin? Death. Not just physical death, we're all gonna physically die. And guess what? Actually, the reason why we die, and of course, uh, Russ knows this. I mean, we get these diseases and so forth, but ultimately it's from the disease of sin. If it wasn't for sin, we wouldn't get cancer. If it wasn't for sin, we wouldn't get the stuff that takes our body. So we will die physically, But even worse, if we die in our sin of this disease, we will die forever. Jesus talked a lot about a place called hell. We will be in eternal conscious punishment forever. That's the disease of sin. We all have it. Now, is it like the coronavirus and there's no cure? No, there's a cure. I don't know about you, but this is my favorite part about giving the gospel of Jesus Christ. Talk about the bad news. That's the sin. That's the disease of sin. But there is good news. There is a cure for that. And the cure is Jesus's righteousness. It's his righteousness. It's his, if you will, his spiritual blood. Precious blood. You see, when Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago, he lived a perfect righteous life that you and I, We can't live, but he did it. And when he died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he has made his righteousness possible to be put into us, okay? So again, this is checked out, verse three, listen to this, this is so awesome. For not knowing about God's righteousness, that's talking about Jesus's righteousness. What do we do in our sin? We seek to establish our own righteousness. Then he goes back to it, but they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. And then it's clearer than ever for Christ or Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. We are diseased in unrighteousness and sin, but Jesus is righteous and perfect. And he's willing to give it to us. His blood, his precious blood is the cure. 
It's like that you and I, and every human, because we all have, we're born into this disease, he is willing to give us a spiritual blood transfusion. He's willing to roll up his bed next to ours, hook up the transfusion line, and he's willing to take our diseased blood into him. And he has nailed it to the cross and instead to give us his pure, precious blood and cure us. One of the best passages in the Bible that says that even clear, we call this the great exchange in theology, is 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin. That's him willing to take our spiritual, diseased sin blood into himself. And again, what has he done with it? He nailed it to the cross. He defeated it. He annihilated it. But instead, so that what? We might become the righteousness of God. And in return, he gives us his precious, cure blood. So that if we die at that point, we're going to still physically die. But spiritually, we are healed. And we find ourselves with eternity with the Lord forever. Amen to that? Guys, this is what we call in Christianity, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And I don't want to go forward without, again, just saying this. Don't let that just fly over our heads, especially for those of you, my brothers and sisters, we've been in church for a long time. He didn't owe us a cure. We're diseased in sin, and we deserve the punishment for that. But out of his love, he's made it possible by his life, death, and resurrection to have a cure. Praise God. So, with that there, let's go back now to our, if you will, our metaphor of this coronavirus. Imagine someone is infected, they're in a hospital room, and someone walks into the room with a cure in their hand. Is that person cured, yes or no? Trick question. Most of you got it, right? No, why? They need to be treated, right? In other words, listen, proximity won't cure the person just because the cure is in the room. I think you might know where I'm going with this. The disease of sin is not cured by proximity to the gospel. The disease of our sin is not cured by proximity to Christians. If we came in here today and we think that I think I'm cured from the disease of sin by Jesus because my parents were Christians and that's like our only treatment we can claim in our life. We're not cured by proximity of other people around us. If we came here and we're saying, I think I'm cured, I think I'm going my way to heaven and I'm a Christian because I go to church all the time. Going to church proximity around here doesn't save us. We need to be treated accurately. And so what's really cool about this text is that he gives us the real, true treatment of the cure. Here's the treatment. It is a twofold decision. It is to confess Jesus as Lord and trust or believe in his righteousness alone. It's a two-part decision. Confess him as Lord, trust in his righteousness alone. And so look at the text here. This comes out as we continue on. Verse four again, for Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. That's the cure is his blood, his righteous blood. And now he's gonna talk about the treatment to everyone who what? 
That was kind of struggling over here. Maybe over there north, you guys did better. Uh, let's try it again. To everyone who what? Believes. Believes. You see, now he's talking about the treatment. The cure is his blood, but we've got our part. We've got to get a treatment of it. It's to believe. Now, when you read through the rest of the chapter, you get to verse 9 and 10. He's going to elaborate even more on this special treatment that it takes. Listen to this. He says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and, everybody say it, and, you see, it's a two-part decision. It's a two-part treatment and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved or cured. And then verse 10, he elaborates on it even more. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness or cure. And with the mouth, he confesses, resulting in salvation, synonym for cure. And so it's a two-part decision, which is really cool because you think about it. Sin at least has two facets to it. It's rebellion and um, it's self-righteousness. When you look at this, it is this. I'm gonna trust in Jesus' righteousness alone. You are my savior, not me. I'm gonna confess I'm a rebel. Jesus, you are Lord, not me. Isn't that awesome? Sin is self-proclaimed savior, self-proclaimed Lord. The treatment is Jesus, you are my savior. And Jesus, you be my Lord. And when we do do that, we're cured. The opposite, of course, is this. I'm going to just trust in my own righteousness. I'm not that bad. And if we say that, then Jesus clearly isn't our Lord. We are. And of course, then we're not cured. We're left in our disease of sin. It's beautiful. The cure is the blood of Jesus. The treatment is this twofold decision of trust in him as Savior and confession as Jesus as Lord. But I want to make something really clear is that, I don't know if you've heard this with the coronavirus, it's so sad to think about and hear about, but there's been a lot of scams on the internet around the world about false claims of cures for the coronavirus and false claims of treatments and so forth. It's just horrible when you think people do that, scam those, giving them false hope. Well, we have a real personable enemy as God's people. What's his name? Satan. And he's the father of what, remind me? Lies. You see, he's so good. He knows, okay, you know what? Even if someone's on the scent in the track, okay, I think Jesus is the answer for my sin. He's the cure that he's like, if I can get them to get the wrong treatment, they'll actually not be cured in the end. It's about the cure and the treatment. And so I want to share with you a couple of the false treatments that's really important. And you say, is this even in the Bible? Where are you getting this from? One of the clearest passages in Matthew chapter seven, when Jesus said this, he said, many, many people are gonna come to me at the end of their life and they're gonna say in so many words, I'm cured from the disease of sin. Lord, you are Lord. And he's gonna say, no, 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 depart from me. I never knew you. See, what's so weird about that is they knew the cure was Jesus, but something was wrong. And what I'm saying this morning is the treatment somewhere along the way, they didn't accurately get treated with the cure of the gospel. And they're gonna find out in the hardest way. So I say this with all love right now. Are you confident that you have, not just that you believe in Jesus, that you claim Jesus, but have you been accurately treated with the gospel and responded accurately to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so let me lay it out a couple of the false treatments. One is this, I'm gonna trust in Jesus' righteousness. Jesus, I need you, you're necessary, but you're not sufficient. 
Jesus, I need you, but I also need to do X, Y, and Z, and then maybe I'm going to get in. I need to go to church enough. I need to go give money to the poor and money to the church. And I got to stay away from bad things too. I need Jesus, but I also need to stay away from these other things. And it's a combination kind of thing that doesn't work that way because what we're doing with Jesus at that point is we're saying, Jesus, thank you, but you're only a partial savior. And if we do that, then Jesus still isn't our Lord. We really are. It's a false treatment. We got to make sure instead, uh, well, here's a verse actually, Romans 3.28 that says that, for we maintain that a man is justified or cured by faith, trust in Jesus. And what to say? Apart from works of the law. It's not a combination. Instead it is, I'm going to trust Jesus. You are enough. Do we believe that today? Have we said that to Jesus? Jesus, you are enough. I cannot add to you being my savior. You are my only savior. Save me and then confess him as Lord. That's how we're cured. That's one false treatment. Here's the other false treatment that's out there, at least one. We're gonna trust in Jesus' righteous alone. Jesus, I know I can't be good enough. I can't add to what you've done. Please be my savior. Jesus, be my savior. I don't wanna to go to hell. Jesus, be my savior but I'm not really sorry. I'm not really going to change my life. I'm going to kind of basically be myself, Lord, and live my life as I want, but be my savior in the end. Do you see how this really gets clear, isn't it? You say, do these people really exist? Do they really do that? Absolutely. When you, when you, when you meet people and they claim to be a Christian and Jesus is their savior, but their life looks nothing like what it means to follow Jesus, Probably what's happened is they wanted Jesus as Savior, but they didn't want him as Lord. Instead, the, the cure is this. Jesus, I can't be good enough. You are. Please be my Savior. And from this day forward, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. And when we do that treatment, we are cured. It's beautiful. It's absolutely awesome. And so I just want to say this before we move forward. Are we absolutely confident that we are cured from the disease of sin by getting the right treatment? Have you declared him as Savior, not trying to add to that, and declared him as Lord and doing our best by his glory to live according to his ways? If so, then we're cured. Now, for those of us that are cured, we're confident. That's, that's us. Praise God. Amen? I mean, that's awesome. This is, this is cool. I, I say that we should gather every week and uh, we should sing songs and praise the Lord about what he's done for us. Uh, that's actually why we do this, okay? Um, you know, praise God for Matt and Ben and their teams and everything. I mean, this is what we do. But is this the only thing we should do now that we're cured? Is sit on the cure? You see? Imagine back to our coronavirus scenario again. Let's say in some laboratory, they make a cure. Does that automatically mean everybody who's been infected now is, is cured across the world? No, we already talked about that. Why? Because they need treated. But how are they going to get treated if the cure isn't what? Brought to them. Someone either needs to send people to go to get there with the cure, or people need to take the cure themselves and deliver it to those so they can get the possible treatment. You see where I'm going with that? You see, here's our role. is isn't just to worship, which is important, and we should do. But also, our role is this, send or go. Send or go. This is the Great Commission. 
The Lord has called every one of us that if, uh, that we are either uh, going ourselves, delivering the cure to people, or we are sending people who will. Now, who are the people that need it? Well, of course, we already talked about every human being. It's a 100% infection rate. Everybody has the disease of sin. Everybody needs to hear the gospel if they haven't heard the gospel. Everybody needs to hear the cure. Well, then also, you look at verse 13 in our text, and it says, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved or cured. So uh, let me share with you my deep studies of the Greek of the word whoever. Okay, write this down. It means whoever, okay? There it was. Go get a master divinity to figure that out, okay? (laughs) So whoever, it's anybody, it's everyone. It's every image bearer of God because again, we all have sin. Jesus is telling all of us that everybody around us that hasn't been cured need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So are your neighbors in the category of whoever's? Yes, right? Are our coworkers and our family members, are they in the category of whoever's? Yes. Is your pet canary a whoever? No, sorry. Got to break it to you. He, Jesus did not die for your canary, okay? Um, and, and I'll say this too, say it with a love, but definitely we know not cats. Definitely not cats, okay? Um, but I will admit, probably not dogs too. Okay, there are, we're all even. Okay, but the point is this, okay? Every human being Jesus died for, he loves them, and it's even those who are near us. So if you as far as you can tell, know someone who lives near you that hasn't been cured by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're still in the disease of sin, raise your hand if you think you know someone that's near you, okay? And so in that sense, we're all goers. Like, we need to take the gospel to them, okay? It's not that I'm calling up, hey, uh, hey Russ and Melody, I know you guys are kind of far away, you know, like in Togo, Africa, Um, But I've got a neighbor five doors down and they're diseased with the sin, you know, disease of sin. And um, you guys are missionaries. You guys are the ones who are supposed to take the cure to them. Can you come over here? And you'd be like, Ryan, I didn't hear about the accident. Are your legs broken? Like, that's what you should say to me, right? (laughs) You see what I'm saying? We're all goers, okay? Can we agree on that? Now, of course, this weekend is what? It's Mission Con 2020. And what we're talking about here right now is we're talking about that not only does God want us to get the gospel to those near us, but he also wants us to participate in getting the gospel to those far away from us as well. And that our role is either we are going there as well, far away, or if not, that we are sending people who are there. And this is what's laid out in our text. Check this out, verse 14. Now we're going to play this out a little bit. Let's say that we're, this is hypothetical, of course. This middle section here, you guys are, um, you're still left in your disease of sin. Okay, we're all born that way. You guys are not cured by the blood of Jesus. Let's say those on the right over here, you guys are. By God's grace, you're Christians. You've been cured and treated and so forth. You're Christians. And now the Ebersoles, they are our missionaries. Okay, and so as we play this out, check this out. Paul says, how then will they, this section here, those who are not cured yet, how will they call on him? Who's him? That's the Sunday school answer moment right there. Jesus, right? Jesus, how will they call on Jesus in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? You see, this whole group of people over here, hypothetically, they, they need to hear, 
We've got missionaries. Now, here's a, here's a fact that needs to be said, and it's, you don't want to miss it. Most missionaries can't get there with the gospel by themselves. And they can't stay there and continue to do the work of the gospel by themselves, right? What do they need? They need people to help send them. And that's exactly what Paul says. He says, how will they preach unless they are sent? Do you hear the two roles here? There's those that go, and then there's the rest of us. And then we're helping to send those who God calls to go. I want to camp on it one more time. What's at stake? Not talking hypothetical anymore. I'm talking about every person in this world who has the disease of sin, has not been cured by the blood of Jesus Christ, has not received the gospel. Not only are they living every day of their life right now apart from that relationship and not having true inner peace and happiness and joy that only Jesus can give them, but it just gets eternally worse if they die in that sin. There are no second chances and they will be in hell for the rest of eternity. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what's at stake. When we, when we meditate on that, that's when though, this makes a lot more sense. But how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good joy, right? Good news of good things. In other words, the missionaries, those that God calls, how beautiful it is when they're willing to go. And how beautiful is it when the rest of us help to send and get them there. Amen to that. You see? And so that's our two roles. If you notice, there's not a third option you're going to find in Scripture for our role in all of this. You're going to find something that says, hey, okay, there's those that I'm calling to go, and then there's those I'm calling to send, and then there's the rest of you. Just hang out, hang tight until I take you home either at death or the rapture. You're not going to find any verses about that. In fact, when I was working on the sermon, I loved how one pastor named his uh, sermon on this. He said, it's send, go, or disobey. That's the third. If there's a third option, that's it, okay? So we need to be saying this. Either in every season of my life, how am I going with the gospel of the cure to those far away, or how am I sending? I got to be able to answer one of the two. There's not a third option. And so I'm going to give some very practical ways for us to do that uh, at the end of the sermon. But that's the first thing. Are we helping send or go in the near future to those far away? Now, as we are considering that, maybe right now you're saying, okay, I, I think that I need to do something. I'm not doing something. Or I, I'm doing something, but I think God wants me to do more. Uh, can I suggest that you pray about a specific group of people potentially to get tapped into? That a lot, of, a lot of Christian leaders are saying, you know what, we think there's a hole here. But before I do that, I also want to make this really clear. Does Jesus care for every human being who has not been cured yet? Yes or no, right? And does he care, no matter where they're at, near or far, does he care for them? Yes, right? So I don't want to diminish the work of the gospel in all areas, but I do want to share a hole that we are trying to blow the horn about how are we doing reaching the world with the gospel? 10% of the world, by God's grace, are cured by the blood of Jesus. But then we've got 23% of the world are nominal Christians. You say, what's that group? That's what I'm talking about earlier, where they claim the cure of Jesus, but they haven't been accurately treated. 
They're not believers. It's the Matthew 7 group of people. That's them. And then you get 39% of the world. They have Christianity around and the gospel around, but for whatever reason, they're not becoming Christians. They're not giving their life to the Lord. Um, and, and so different religions, atheism, whatever it is. And of course, that leaves then 28% of the world are people who have never heard the cure of the gospel and the blood of Jesus Christ. 28% of the world. So how are we doing reaching the world with our missionaries? Uh, where are they working? Again, so important. Okay, first of all, we don't need missionaries among us, okay? We just need um, holy prods to get us to do things God wants us to do. That's what we need. Um, but we don't need missionaries for the gospel. But how are we doing reaching the world? 91% of our missionaries are working among those where the gospel is around, where there are churches around. And again, I want to make this really clear. I don't want to diminish the work of what's happening here. Do you, do you hear me on that? Praise God for that. But what we're trying to do is show a whole though, because you can do the math. 91% of our missionaries are there. Only 9% of our missionaries are working among 28% of the world that they have no gospel presence at all. No Bibles in their languages at all. That's 2.16 billion people. If they die in their sin, they're separated from God forever with no second chances. We have 9% of our missionaries working among them. I mean, think about this with, look at the news about how the world's reacting to 75,000 people infected by a coronavirus. That has like a two to 5% death rate. Again, it's serious. We're talking about 2.16 billion people with a 100% death rate. Wow, that's challenging. Are our hearts stirred with a compassion and, and a conviction to say, I need to be a part of making sure we're getting the gospel to everybody in the world. And so I just ask that we pray and we consider that as we're looking at things. How about finances? Well, if you look at all the money that God's people, we give in general, this would be to everything to lights for our buildings, to staff, to giving to the poor. This is globally, all the money we give. Guess how much money we're giving to reach the 2.16 billion people out of every dollar, it's one penny. That looks like this visually. And so again, I just say this, as you ask the Lord, if he wants you to get more involved sending or going, would you consider the 28% and just bring that before the Lord and, and possibly jump in there. Now, before we get to some practical house, I want to hit on a couple other points that are really important. Not only does God say he wants us to send or go, but also we need to be willing to do it no matter the cost. There's going to be cost whether we're sending or going. And, um, and I ask this question right now, what is it costing you to either send people to go or to go yourself into the near future? I ask that of myself too. You say, are there really costs? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, there's uh, what about goers? Are there costs for goers? There's absolutely a cost. In fact, this is a, there's a cost that all of us have to experience. And what I love about hearing the story, as unfortunate as it is with the Ebersols, is they faced this even here in the States, persecution. All they did was share the gospel with some kids and they become the bad people in the neighborhood. Think about that. And so I don't know if you've ever shared the gospel with someone near, you know, in your life, family, coworker, neighbor, and it didn't go well and you had some form of persecution, but that's a cost that we might just have to face. Are we willing though 
to love our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members enough to give them the cure even if they turn against us. It's one of the costs. Of course, our full-time, long-term missionaries, they face persecution in some places way more than we do here. And so it's a cost. Are we willing to do it though? How about this? This is for long-term missionaries farther away. There's a cost of distance from their loved ones. We just heard it again earlier from Melody. That's a real thing. I sit there and imagine what it's like that, you know, they're not with their family for all these regular gatherings because they're overseas for a year, two years, three years at a time. It's a cost, but they're willing to go even despite the cost. Here's another cost, of course, is finances, right? I've never met a missionary yet that says, I asked him, like, why'd you go into, into the mission field? Well, we, you know, there's good money in it. <laughs> like, if, the, if, the, if you meet a missionary like that, like, run. That's not a good scenario. I'm just telling you. There's something fishy there, okay? So, in fact, it's very humbling. They live off of the gifts of others. So there's a cost of going. How about sending? Are there costs? Absolutely. Of course, sending now can be praying. Uh, it can be a lot of other things. But of course, if we financially give to missionaries to go, obviously that's a, that's a cost. Um, every dollar that I give to send someone is a dollar I'm not spending on myself. And so are we willing, though, to help send financially and have the cost on our end? But here's a unique one I want to really, really hit on this morning is parents. Sending parents, I'll call them. This is for any mom or dad where the child comes to you and says, mom, dad, I sense that God's calling me to go on a short-term mission trip. Or mom, dad, I sense God's calling me to be a full-time, long-term missionary. Is there gonna be some sort of cost for the parents to see their kids go serve the Lord? Absolutely. Again, imagine holidays are rolling around and you're missing that child and their spouse and your grandkids because they are counting the cost to take the gospel to people far away and you're watching all the other families around, they're all getting all their families together. There's a cost there. I don't wanna diminish that as a parent, but I wanna encourage you with the very words of one of our own sending parents. Some of our missionaries, Justin and Shannon Brown, they serve the Lord in Kenya with their three girls. Well, their parents, Bennett and Melanie, they're part of our church. They're sending parents. And I want to read for you what Bennett says about this. He says, he says, we started praying for each of our sons before they were born. Part of our prayers were that they would accept Jesus as their savior at an early age. Also that they would be used by God in a mighty way for his glory. I am proud in the good way of Justin and Shannon for their decision to go to minister in Africa and for their love to serve in Jesus' name. There are definitely no more risks and dangers in Africa. And that's where their faith and our faith in God's protection really stands daily. We are without a doubt on our knees all the time asking God to bless them for their ministry and to protect them. And then I want you to hear this. Then it says, but when your child's life is in God's will, and he or she follows God's calling, then we as parents need to encourage and support their decisions to serve and to go, even if it's Africa. And so I just wanna say this for some parents here right now, 
your child has said, I want to go serve the Lord full-time or a part-time, just a short-term team this year, and you're really challenging, you know, struggling with that, and are we willing to trust the Lord that he's going to take care of them and willing to bless our child instead of getting in the way? Even greater than that, maybe your child's saying, I think God wants me to go full-time. Are we willing to trust the Lord and ultimately say, you know what, last I checked, God, that child actually is ultimately your child. And if you're calling them, I don't want to get in the way of that. I want to bless them. And it's a cost for me as a parent. Are we willing to do that? And for those of us parents that maybe our kids are younger, let's be preparing our hearts even now that Lord, if you call them, I pray that my heart is ready to count that cost. Are we willing to do that? And so again, we need to send or go no matter the cost, but here's the final so important point. In fact, this is foundational. It's we gotta make sure we're doing it out of love right? If we're doing these other things and we're not doing it out of love, honestly, like press rewind, get back to this and get this under control. It needs to be out of love. It's our motivation. Love for who? First of all, love for God, right? You see, Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my what? Commandments. The great commission that you and I are involved in getting the gospel, the cure to the ends of the earth, those farther away from us is not a suggestion, it is a commandment. And I say this with all love in my heart, but if I sit there and I say, Jesus, I love you, but I'm not involved in the great commission, which is a commandment in some capacity, sending or going, it's an oxymoron to say, I love the Lord and not do his commandment in this way. So it's out of love for God, but God, because I love you, I'm gonna get involved. And of course, the other love is what? For the people, right? The people we're trying to reach with the gospel. And let me say this. I understand that it's hard for some people to love someone you've never met. That's hard, right? But I'll tell you what. This is a prayer that I have seen the Holy Spirit answer in my life many times. When I, have, when I find those scenarios, I say, Holy Lord, would you please break my heart for this people group that I've never met and I may never meet in my life? And it is amazing how the Holy Spirit begins to transform my heart and give me a brokenness for them. So I encourage you to just ask of the Lord. He will change our heart and give us a love for them. So are we sending or going? What's it costing us? And are we doing out of love? So let me finish out with some practical hows. I'm gonna have the worship team come up and get ready to close out as I go through these. Here's some practical hows. My hope and my prayer right now is that there are people who are saying this. Um, I'm not doing anything yet, but I love the Lord and I'm gonna get involved. Awesome, I'm gonna give you hows. Or you're saying, you know what? I'm doing this one thing, but I sense the Holy Spirit call me to do more. And so here's some hows for you as well. How can you potentially go with the gospel, with the cure to those far away? We've got five short-term teams coming up this year. We've got the Philippines, that's senior high and college age. We've got Albania. We've got, the rest of these are for a general population of people, if we will, not just senior high and college age. We've got Albania. We've got South Asia. We've got Latin America. And just so you know, for those two, those are a little bit coded because of security reasons. Uh, if you get on our website, that's on the bottom of the bulletin, you can find out more there and then contact us and we'll let you know exactly where these countries are. Um, but there's those. And then there is Honduras. And so consider looking into those. Information is on that website in the bottom of your bulletin. 
But also maybe someone here today is saying, I think God's calling me to become a full-time missionary. And that's a big decision of life. And you need some people to walk alongside you. And so I invite you to come talk to me or talk to another person on the missions team, talk to a pastor and begin to pray through and get wisdom into a potential calling that God might be calling you to serve him full time. A lot of our missionaries, by the way, uh, were called in their 20s. And a lot of them were called actually later. So don't let your age kind of throw that off. Just ask the Lord. How about sending through CFC? Prayer is so important to help send. And so we've given three, at least three ways for you to pray for specific missions, activities through our church. We've got these prayer card sets that are being passed out in services. Again, if you didn't get one, get it on your way out and use those as a tool to pray. Uh, We have a missions prayer team. Information is found on that website, that link that's on the bottom of your bulletins. And what we do with this is we send a a prayer request once every week for missions-related efforts of our church, or you can do it through email if you want that. And then finally, there's a prayer room over this direction from me, E11. Anytime on a Sunday morning, you can go over there and pray. And we have all sorts of missions uh, information there to pray. That's one way we can help send. Here's a couple other ways. Another one is this. Consider joining uh, a a sending team. We have these sending teams. This is CFC, a unique way that we get people partnered up uh, with a missionary. Um, We meet about once a quarter. If the missionary isn't around, we're going to start trying to Skype them in and use our technology to have them there in that fashion if possible. And we're just saying to the missionaries each time, how can we help you? How can we help send you? What do you need prayer for? What do you need? How can we work together as a team to do that? And so there's another piece of literature you are handed as you walked in. There's a whole brochure on sending teams. It has a lot more information about what they are, expectations, how to join them. And then finally, again, I invite everyone, if you're not on a sending team, tonight, six o'clock, all around campus, all of our sending teams are meeting. And so between now and then, if you haven't already, look at our missionaries online, um, and just find one that you want to show up. The, the room assignments are in that brochure as well. Check that out. And come as a guest. We're not going to have you sign in blood to commit if you show up, okay? That's a bad sending team leader. Let me know if that happens, okay? We said just let people come as guests and check it out, all right? And then the final uh, thing that we can do is, of course, give. It takes money uh, to be able to send people and do the work of the gospel, especially far away. And so we have these different opportunities. Of course, there's the short-term teams, uh, people that go need funds. You can go to that website at the bottom of the bulletin and find ways to give to that. And then that leads to our final thing this morning, which is our special missions offering. And first we have the India partnership where we're funding Indian church planters and evangelists in that 28% of the world, the unreached world. That's uh, what we're doing with that one. And then we have the rest of our missionaries in that program that you have handed to you. This is all in there. And we're going to take some, uh, a special offering right now for that. So if you came and you've been praying about what to give to, we're going to collect now. But if you also came and this is the first time you're hearing about it and you want to give now, we won't hold you back. But if you're like, I need some more time to talk to my spouse and pray, you can give online later. Um, so let me just say this again. What are we doing? Are we sending or are we going? Is it costing us anything? And are we doing it out of love?
lots more happening. So right away here at 11 is the Missions Fair and D building. And then at 1130 is a free Mexican themed lunch. Uh, take advantage of those things. And then of course, sending teams tonight, 6 p.m. Let's go with a love and a passion for the gospel to the ends of the earth. You are dismissed.